Welcome to Write Good, the podcast that helps you write good. I'm Aris Benedict. Being criticized sucks, but if you're a writer and you're putting your work out into the world for other people to see, you're going to receive criticism. But criticism is an immense part of writing well. Developing a critical eye makes you a better writer. And sometimes, listening to other people's criticism can help you find flaws in your own writing so you can fix them. It's really, really hard to recognize our own flaws. As a community, writers should, and usually do, offer each other constructive criticism. I highly, highly recommend getting together in writing circles or giving your work to someone else to get feedback. You might even hire a professional editor to take a look at your work, though this might not be financially viable for a lot of you. Taking criticism can be a painful process, but it's really valuable. In this episode of Write Good, we're going to talk about how to get the most and least out of criticism. Giving constructive criticism. The most important thing to remember when you're giving constructive criticism is not to be a fucking dick. Don't be a dick. Remember that your goal is to help the writer, not to make yourself feel important, not to entertain yourself, but to help. It's important to be specific, too. It's incredibly frustrating to submit a work of fiction to somebody else for feedback and hear only, oh, I liked it, or I didn't really like it. That's not very helpful. It's vague. It's a little useless. Tell us specifically, what did you like? What didn't you like? Sometimes it's hard to figure out what you should say. And if you're having trouble with that, it can help to approach the text like this. Ask yourself, what do you think the writer was trying to accomplish? And did the writer succeed? Why or why not? An example of a goal would be to try to make the audience laugh, to make some kind of political statement, to explore a theme, to frighten us. What do you think the author was trying to do? Did it work? It's also really important to keep in mind that there's a difference between quality and personal taste. Something can be well-written, but not to your individual taste. And you ought to try to evaluate it by the former, and not the latter. If someone asks you to read something that's completely not to your taste, let them know. Be upfront about it. For example, if a friend of yours gives you her erotic vampire novella, and you're just not a fan of erotic vampire novellas, let her know that. Say, I'm sorry, I don't think I'm the right person to critique this. Vampire erotica is not my cup of tea. It's important, too, to read the text more than once. Read it the first time for overall comprehension and a bare emotional response. Read it the second time, to notice technique. It's not enough to say what's wrong. You should also suggest solutions to problems. Don't tell the writer, this is bad. Don't tell the writer, this sucks. Tell the writer how to make it suck less, if you can. Receiving and soliciting criticism. When seeking out a critique of your work, make sure you're asking the right person. Don't ask any rando for advice. Seek out someone appropriate, someone with good taste or good talent. Someone you have a relationship with already. Maybe you should look for someone who writes, or at least reads, work similar to what you're trying to do. For example, if you've finished a vampire erotica novel, perhaps you should seek out someone who reads or writes vampire erotica. That person has a good idea of what makes vampire erotica work and what makes vampire erotica not work. Now, before you ask for feedback, ask yourself, what are you really looking for? Do you have a specific issue you're worried about? For example, maybe you're worried that the climax of your story just 
doesn't work. Maybe you're worried that the climax falls a little bit flat. And it's very, very important to really look yourself in the mirror and ask yourself genuinely, do you actually want someone to point out the flaws in your work? Or do you really just want a confidence boost? Because that happens sometimes. I've been on both ends of that. Sometimes when a writer shows other people their work and says, tell me what you think, they're really not asking what the reader thinks. What they're really, really asking is, please tell me it's good. Tell me I'm good. Tell me you love me. Tell me I'm not wasting my time writing vampire erotica. Tell me that I'm valid. Tell me that I matter. If you're looking for that, that's okay. But don't ask for a solid critique when what you're really looking for is validation. Because if you only want validation and you get a critique, it's going to hurt a lot. And you're probably going to get into a screaming match with somebody. When you're asking someone for criticism of your work, understand that really actually analyzing a piece of writing well enough to critique it is very time-consuming, and it's not a skill that everybody has. You're asking for literary analysis. You're basically asking the other person to do English homework for you. That's a lot to ask. That's a really big favor. So when the other person reads your work and gives you feedback, including criticism, including negative feedback, please don't argue. Keep in mind that the person criticizing your work is doing you a favor. If you ask for feedback and the other person gives you that feedback that you specifically asked for and you snap at them, that's kind of a dick move. It will make people less likely to help you in the future. So instead of arguing, don't respond immediately. Don't respond. Go outside, take a walk, do some yoga, have a cigarette. Do whatever it is that calms you down. Use your coping skills, healthy or unhealthy. It doesn't really matter too much. Get to a place where you feel okay and calm. Then come back and ask for clarification if you still think that the feedback doesn't make sense. But seriously, don't get argumentative. It's, it's pointless. You don't have to accept all criticism as gospel. You don't have to do what the other person says. I personally ignore a lot of criticism. When I submit a work for publication and it gets accepted, there's a process where the publication has an editor go over my work and make suggestions like add a comma here, change this word, explain this part a little better. And a lot of the time I don't make the changes they suggest. Sometimes I do, but sometimes I don't, and that's okay. Sometimes you really should stick to your guns. When Daniel Keyes first submitted Flowers for Algernon to Galaxy Science Fiction magazine, they wanted him to change the ending. They wanted him to give it a happy ending where Charlie keeps his intelligence and marries the pretty girl and they all live happily ever after. And that would have absolutely ruined the story. It absolutely would have killed all the impact, all the power it had. It would have been a disaster. So the writer wisely withdrew his work. He kept the original tragic ending and resubmitted it to the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, which published it the right way, thank God. And the story got really, really popular. People loved it. So he was asked to turn it into a full-length novel, and when he tried to submit it to Doubleday, they too asked him to change the ending and make it happy. So again, he told them no, and he gave them back the advance they'd paid him, which takes a lot of courage. It's not easy to make a living as a writer, so giving back what was probably a pretty nice piece of money, that's a hard decision to make. But he stuck to his guns and kept the sad ending and had to send the book out to five different publishers before he found one that would accept it and it was published as it was with the incredibly bleak, tragic ending. And because he stuck to his guns, Flowers for Algernon is still known today as a science fiction classic with a beautiful, tragic, poignant ending. 
but understand that sometimes you shouldn't stick to your guns. One very good example that we're all familiar with is the original Star Wars trilogy. In the original script, Han Solo had gills, and the dialogue was somehow even worse. But fortunately, smarter people intervened, they made Han Solo a human, and meanwhile, Carrie Fisher and Harrison Ford altered and fixed a lot of Lucas's terrible dialogue. But when we got the prequels, George Lucas was at the point where he didn't have to hear the word no anymore, and as a result, we get lines like, I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating, and it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything is soft and smooth. And that's terrible. But how do you distinguish between valid criticism and invalid criticism, between useful criticism and useless criticism? When should you stick to your guns, and when should you give up your guns to the federal government? Well, one good rule is that if multiple people give you the same feedback, you might want to listen to them. One person might be an outlier, or someone who's bad at reading, or someone with terrible taste, but if a lot of different people look at your work and all of them say, look, your dialogue is really stilted, then maybe your dialogue is stilted. It also helps to have a sense of what you're trying to accomplish. Will the other person's advice help you reach that goal or not? For instance, if your readers say, I didn't like the main character, but you're not trying to write a likable main character, then you can ignore that. But if you're actually trying to write a likable main character, then you're in trouble, and you need to figure out how to change things. It's also important to ask yourself if this is a matter of quality versus taste. Often, people get mad at a work because they want it to be something that it's not meant to be. It's not to their taste. There's nothing wrong with it, it's just not to their personal taste. For instance, I read a piece that criticized the TV show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend because the show wasn't a feminist takedown of men who call their ex-girlfriends crazy. But that's not what the show is meant to be. That's not what the show is trying to be. The show's a very personal story about living with mental illness, and it's not really trying to do something else. In my own history, I got some criticism because my English name didn't have enough action. But it wasn't an action story. It wasn't meant to be an action story. It was really more of a quiet character study that just happened to have a big gooey monster in the center of it. Asking for more action in my English name is like getting mad that your ice cream sundae doesn't have enough ham on it. It's not supposed to be there. It doesn't need to be there. I can ignore that. Coping with negative reviews. If you get published, either through traditional means or by self-publishing, you're going to get reviewed on the internet, maybe by professional reviewers, but mostly and most likely by amateur, anonymous bloggers and commenters on social media or Amazon or Goodreads. And a lot of them are really negative, and sometimes they're really mean. So how do you respond to them? My advice is don't. Do not respond to negative internet criticism of your writing. It's not going to end well. You're not going to convince the other person that they're wrong. You're not going to get the other person to say, Oh my god, I get it. You're right. I like this story now. You've convinced me to enjoy this. You're a good writer. I love you, and you're probably very handsome. You know the old saying about don't wrestle a pig? Same thing goes here. If you get into fights with these people, you'll just look petty and ridiculous. Here are some things to remember. Number one, 
Random Goodreads reviewers aren't intensely powerful people with the ability to make or break your career. No writer's career was utterly destroyed because one person on Goodreads didn't like their book. These aren't powerful people. They're randos. It's okay. They can't hurt you. Number two. Plenty of books, movies, and so on get negative reviews and still do fine. Critics generally pan the Transformers movies, but they still make tons of money, unfortunately, because we live in hell world. Number three. Negative people tend to be louder. Content people tend to be quiet. If you went solely by internet reviews, you'd think that everybody on Earth hated The Last Jedi, but judging by the box office, it's doing fine. People like it. Number four. If a person leaves a negative review of your work, it often means that they've already bought and paid for the book or magazine, so their money is in your pocket. So you won. Congratulations. And number five, negative reviews can actually help sell your work. A study by a behavioral economist named Jonah Berger, cited in NPR, found that a negative book review by a major critic for a work by a relatively unknown author can actually increase sales by 40%. That is fantastic. That's amazing free advertising. We live in a garbage time with a garbage culture, and people love to check out garbage for shits and giggles. But hey, guess what? Irony dollars and irony clicks count just as much as sincere ones. And depending on the content of the negative review, it can help raise genuine, unironic interest. Like, if I read some right-wing MAGA chuds review of a movie and it says, oh, this is feminist commie propaganda that will turn Western civilization gay, then I really want to watch that movie. That sounds amazing. That's exactly what I want to see. Or if a critic complains that a book is too violent or sexual, I'm going to guess that a lot of the people reading that review are going to be really, really, really interested in that book. Because most people love gratuitous sex and violence. They're great. Still, not all authors will agree with me. Take Anne Rice, please. In 2004, after some randos on Amazon wrote scathing reviews of Anne Rice's blood canticle, the author lashed out in a 1,200-word screed with no paragraph breaks. It's pretty spectacular. It goes like this. From the author to the sum of the negative voices here, September 6th, 2004. Seldom do I really answer those who criticize my work. In fact, the entire development of my career has been fueled by my ability to ignore denigrating and trivializing criticism as I realize my dreams and my goals. However, there is something compelling about Amazon's willingness to publish just about anything. You are interrogating this text from the wrong perspective. Indeed, you aren't even reading it. You are projecting your own limitations on it. And you are giving a whole new meaning to the words wide readership. And you have strained my Dickensian principles to the max. I'm justifiably proud of being read by intellectual giants and waitresses and trailer and no, I have no intention of allowing any editor to distort, cut, or otherwise mutilate sentences that I have edited and re-edited and organized and polished myself. I fought a great battle to achieve a status where I did not have to put up with editors making demands on me, and I will never relinquish that status. For me, novel writing is a virtuoso performance. It is not a collaborative art. Back to the novel itself. The character who tells my tale is Mylas Stack. Julian is carefully worked out, but I leave it to readers to discover how this complex and intricate novel establishes itself within a unique, if not unrivaled, series of book. There are things to be said, and there is pleasure to be had, and readers will say wonderful things about Blood Canticle, and they already are. 
There are readers out there, and plenty of them, who cherish the individuality of each of the chronicles which you so flippantly condemn. They can and do talk circles around you, and I am warmed by their response. Their letters, the papers they write in school, our face-to-face exchanges on the road. These things sustain me when I read the utter trash that you post. But I feel I have said enough. If this reaches one reader who is curious about my work and shocked by the ugly reviews here, I've served my goals. And yo, you dude, the slang police. Lestat talks like I do. He always has and he always will. You really wouldn't much like being around either one of us, and you don't have to be. If any of you want to say anything about this, by all means, email me at And if you want your money back for the book, send it to I'm not a coward about my real name or where I live, and yes, the Chronicles are no more, thank God. So, a couple of people uh, thought that this screed was, was pretty great, but to most readers, to most morbid gawkers, it was a pretty spectacular meltdown, and probably didn't really make the author look good or mature uh, or, or sensible. And in addition to this manifesto, Anne Rice also started a petition to try to force Amazon reviewers to write only under their real names, which, first of all, that's potentially dangerous for a lot of LGBTQ people living in spaces that aren't queer-friendly, or for a lot of people with a psycho-stalker ex, online anonymity offers a way to express yourself safely. And second of all, that's a little hypocritical considering a lot of authors, like me, use pseudonyms. Because we have day jobs. Yet another reason why forcing internet reviewers to use their real names is a bad idea is this news story. In 2015, self-published author Richard Britton got a little bit angry at a girl who'd left a negative review on his fantasy romance novel on Wattpad, which is a self-publishing website that mainly hosts werewolf bondage porn and One Direction slash fic. So, Richard found out her real name, found out where she worked, then headed over there, a journey of over 500 miles, and smashed her over the head with a wine bottle. This story has an extra level of creepiness. The heroine of this guy's terrible book is named after a girl he stalked in real life. The situation was so bad that the police got involved. So I guess he stopped contacting her, and then he wrote an entire freaking book about what a beautiful princess she is, and he published it publicly. Very normal. So, don't do that. Don't do those things. Don't do any of those things. It's not a good idea. You'll look like a crazy person, and you might end up actually having to spend some time in prison, which, from what I understand, is not a great place to be. The Shameless Plug Speaking of criticism, our podcast is running a little critique service for Patreon subscribers. In subscriber-only episodes, we're going to read a few minutes of work submitted by listeners and offer constructive critique. Emphasis on constructive. I'm not going to scream at you that you suck and tell you that you're a piece of shit. I'm pretty sure that's sex work, and you're not paying us enough to do that. You can sign up to get feedback on your own work, or you can just listen in on someone else's work being critiqued. Either way, it's a great way to learn and grow as a writer and develop that critical eye. If that sounds good to you, sign up for our Patreon at patreon.com slash r-i-t-e-g-u-d. That's all for this episode. In our next installment, we're going to turn our critical gaze to a classic work of adventure fantasy, Jim Tice's The Eye of Argon. Thank you, and good night. This has been Right Good with R.S. Benedict, hosted by R.S. Benedict and produced by Matt Keeley for KS Media LLC. This has been a Kitty's Thesis production. For comments and concerns, please write to us at rightgoodwithrsb, that is R-I-T-E-G-U-D with R-S-B, at gmail.com. 
And if you'd like to support us, please visit our Patreon at patreon.com slash R-I-T-E-G-U-D. KittySneezes.com in color.